Women on Screen Out Loud is proudly supported by Company 3 Toronto. Company 3 is the leading post-production provider to the world's top content creators. Welcome to Women on Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. When building a film team, it can be easy to just stick with what works and who you trust. In her essay, Anomalies, Cinematographer Gail Yee shares how she grasped a tight hold of her only queer woman of color identity early in her career, what pushed her out of these comforts, and how she is now using her voice to promote her racialized colleagues to encourage inclusivity and change. I used to think being an anomaly was a badge of honor. Pulling up a half-broken foldable chair to the production meeting table of over 30 crew members with only one other racialized woman sitting on the opposite side of the table. I would often be the only woman of color in the room and almost always the only queer woman of color in the room. At the table, the other woman and I sat away from each other like repulsive magnetic forces. The irony of that scientific term is not lost on me. It felt like an unspoken rule for the sake of feeling unique. Being an anomaly made me feel special, and it certainly made me stand out in ways that I thought I admired. Being an anomaly made me feel like with enough passion and hard work alone, I could make it in this industry. In the autumn of 2017, during my first year of going freelance, I received an email request I had never seen before. It read, we're looking to assemble a team slash crew of all people of color. I'd love to have you on board to DP. Would this be something you'd be interested in? Prior to this, my knowledge of racialized crew members' interest in camera, lighting, and grip was extremely limited. I could blame it on the media company I worked for, where I was the only employee of color. I could blame it on the film school I went to, where I was the only woman of color pursuing a technical role in a program of 150. Or perhaps I could blame it on early experiences where I attended a predominantly Asian school and chose to hang out exclusively with white folks so as to not be that kind of Asian, whatever that meant. It could have been a culmination of all those moments in my life, but ultimately, it was up to me to seek out people I had never heard of or seen before. I began my journey of looking for racialized folks in a private women in film group on Facebook. I must have written and rewritten the crew callout around 10 times before hitting post. While I was typing it out, I had this feeling of discomfort and unease, a confronting feeling that came from conditioning myself to believe that to be the only or few in the room was the only way for me to make it in the industry. Responses flooded in, and we successfully filled all the positions with Black, Indigenous, and people of color right up until the day before the shoot. My entire crew consisted of folks I had never worked with before, and it fundamentally changed the course of my priorities and showed me just how wrong I was about being an anomaly. I learned that it's never been about the lack of Black, Indigenous, and people of color interested, passion, or hard work, but the lack of opportunity given to us. Being an anomaly wasn't a badge of honor, but a stark reminder of complicity in a system that intentionally excludes us. I set out to make a list of racialized crew and quickly found others like me trying to remind ourselves that there are more of us out there 
and there always have been. We were just gems in plain sight that have been denied the spotlight. So when I think about organizations like Black Women Film, BIPOC TV and Film, POV, NIA Center, and many more, I'm reminded of the labor of those who came before me and the paths they have paved for me to get to where I am now. As my career as a director of photography continues, my excitement for discovering new names of camera assistants, grips, electrics, camera operators, and beyond still remains. The reality of there being thousands of talented and thoughtful racialized women and non-binary folks in our industry that are yet to be discovered brings me so much joy. I recently learned about the great Esther Ng, an openly queer Chinese-American woman who directed and shot the first Cantonese films in America in the late 30s. She's made films over three decades, and out of her entire filmography, only two of her films have been preserved. How could someone so seemingly integral to the shifted landscape of the film industry slip through the cracks? It made me think of all those who came before me whose stories go unrecorded, lost, and erased. So I will no longer be a part of the erasure. I will not claim I am the only. I will claim that I won't be the last. So without further ado, here are the names of fellow femme racialized cinematographers. Ashley Iris Gill, Corinne Zanner, Roya Del Sol, Dina Atala, Fatima Gardad, Hazel Lee, Asma Aruhi, Kayla Wishell, Sophia Amina Wood, Shirley Chan, Eureka Yu, Alexis Jackson, Alex C, Kun Tudo, Celiana Cardenas, Kazi, Iris Ng, Jeannie C, Rola Tahir, Barbie Lung, Ileana Ipez, Quian Tran, Rena Yang, and Kira Kelly. Here's to all those I have yet to meet, and here's to those who are turning the tides. Coming up, Lara Jean and Gail expand on what it means to be an anomaly, the competitive landscape of film, and opening the community doors for change. Hi, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki, and I'm here with Gail Yee. Gail, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm going to start right at the top of your essay. This whole essay investigates your relationship with feeling like an anomaly. So let's start with that word because it's such a weird word. What does that term mean to you? I mean, yeah, in the, the word anomaly has had so many different meanings um, for me um, as detailed in, in the essay. But I think uh, I would land on the definition of anomaly being someone who stands out or in in, in some ways sticks out, I guess, because I think Mm. stands out and sticks out kind of have different connotations. But I think that would be my short definition of the word. Someone who sticks out because stands out, it has like some positive connotations where sticks out is, is more, yeah, is more ambiguous. Mm -hmm. At the top, when you talk about being an anomaly, you talk about this kind of pride that you used to have about it. And about these qualities that you thought you admired. Why do you think at the time those qualities were important to you? Yeah, so I, I feel like the the qualities of being an anomaly felt like uh, like people were interested in me because I just was mm. someone they hadn't seen before in the role that I was in or even just in the room. 
like in any capacity. And so I felt like folks were actually willing to listen to me and my ideas. But I also quickly found out that actually wasn't the case. In fact, mm. I it was amplified that um, that uh, that my identity actually equated to folks underestimate, uh, underestimating me or uh, having doubts about me because again, they just hadn't seen anyone like me. So I, I guess I had projected those ideas, but I'm sure those came from somewhere. It sounds like a severe otheringness. You think that it's uh, people being interested equates to in inclusion, but actually what was happening was an otherness. It's really common for women in general and for BIPOC, and then now you're at the intersection of both. What What is that like to sit at that table, as you talked about, with other women and feeling like you're these repulsive magnetic forces, which is such a great analogy, that you you can't actually integrate with each other? Well, I, I just want to clarify that and say that I didn't feel that way with white women. I felt like I could play the game with white women. I knew how to navigate. I still know how to navigate white women um, and those conversations. Um, but it was, you know, the, the sort of repelling um, imagery that I'm detailing is was specific to women of color. Um, again, mm. because of this whole conditioning of being an anomaly. Because I had seen, you know, quite a number of white women in, in key roles. Often they were my quote-unquote superiors. So certainly I, I just, I don't want to say I felt more comfortable around them. I just knew how to be. And I felt like with women of color, I almost didn't know how to, like I was rejecting how I actually wanted to be when there could have been a beautiful opportunity to like just be myself and not have yeah. to like explain myself or educate others or whatever comes with being a woman of color in these spaces. Yeah, as you talk about with with white women, you could play the game. Even that statement makes me go, oh, that there is a game to be played between like that creates this otherness between us. It's so brave what you talk about here um, in terms of this brave and honest self-examination of feeling like being the only was the only way to make it. It's, it's, it's just kind of devastating. And this idea that you talk about this discomfort of reaching out to find more BIPOC creatives when you got that request. Can you speak more to this discomfort? What it was like to acknowledge that you were part of this system or come to realize that you were part of that system? Um, I think at the time, I, 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 when I was doing that post that I described, I felt uncomfortable for sure. Could I totally dissect it the way that I just did now back then? Probably not. I just knew I felt mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Um, but then there was a turning point where I started to see names. like, And, and I, th I think at the time I thought, oh, no one's going to apply. Like, no one, like, we're not going to find anyone. And so that was really a hard reality that I was like, I think I told myself that. Like, I was like, I, I'm i worried people won't apply and then that would be a fact. Like, that, the fact that there weren't people like me that want to do this job. Um, mm. I, th I think that was what I told myself then. But upon reflection, and I think there is still some truth to that, but I also do feel like it, again, for the reasons of like sticking out or standing out, 
it would somehow compromise that. And that's how I got to, it felt like that was the only way I'd gotten to where I, I was at that point in my career. You just talked about the turning point, and um, it makes me think of the next quote I want to say, which is, the being an anomaly wasn't a badge of honor, but a stark reminder of complicity in a system that intentionally excludes us. And this really had uh, Jen and Farah and I thinking about and discussing this sentiment. And for me, it feels like this system is rooted in this white supremacist way of thinking, this idea that one BIPOC member can be praised and lauded, but to open the door and create room for all is somehow a threat to the system of power, which of course is bullshit, because when we raise marginalized communities, everybody wins. But how how did you reckon with that shift in your perspective when you went from being an anomaly and being part of the system to opening doors in the community and changing the system and, and welcoming and getting to know your fellow BIPOC creatives? How, how did that feel? Yeah, so the the short film that I um, describe, I, I think it was instantaneous as soon as I got to set. Like, I don't really know how to describe it, but I could finally just, like, be me. And, mm. like, you know, the elements also just, like, and when I say be me, like, be me to my fullest. Like, not only could I be a, a person of color, I could be a woman of color, I could be a queer woman of color. There are a lot of queer folks on that shoot too. And it was a queer story. Like, it was awesome. Like, I felt like I didn't have to, like, hide a certain part of me or not speak about something that, that like, was related to who I am for once. And we were also just, like, making films that we would watch, right, that we've just never seen before. So I think those feelings just like, yeah, that, that is what did it for me where I'm like, there is a universe and I'm living in it. Um, <laughs> this is actually a reality. This is not, you know, a pie in the sky dream. Like this can happen. And, and when it happens, it is beautiful. It is meaningful. Um, and so, yeah, I think that experience really, really was like that part of it really changed uh, the course of my career. And, and and like, as I mentioned, my priorities. Was that Super Z? It was Super Z. Amazing. <laughs> Shout out Far Marani yeah. and Sedna Fiati, who was also a guest this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you talk about it in the essay where you say it's, it's like gives you so much joy to think of all the thoughtful and talented racialized women that are yet to be discovered. Thank you for that. And and then at the end of the essay, Gail, you do this generous thing where you use this platform and you uplift other women. And especially women on screen as an organization is is really committed to bringing others up. And I, I just feels it fills my heart that you did this at the end of your essay. And so to give our listeners a little bit more context, the list that you do at the end are these primarily women working today? Are there mentors who've gone before? Are they up-and-comers who excite you? Where can we learn more about them? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, yes, the the list is um, composed of a mix of dear friends, some of the folks I actually met on that short film, Super Z, um, folks I've never met before. I literally did another call out on this group called Sporas, which is a bit more UK based, but it also very similar to BIPOC TV and film is working towards uh, racial equity in the industry, but in particularly or in particular the UK. And so I literally just posted in the group. I'm like, hey, I'm going on this podcast. Are there any female DPs that want their name to be dropped? Because I would oh, love, I love to that. just add their name. So yeah, it's it's a good mix of folks, and some are emerging, some are super established, some are have been my idols forever. So 
Um, and even just creating that list was was so much fun because it's like, I just felt like, I mean, it's 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 like a sliver or like a drop in the ocean of like the actual list of people that exist out there. But it was very cool to felt feel like I had just folks from different walks of life, whether it was like in age, location, like um, all of that, like I and, and or also just like where they were in their careers or where they are in their careers, mm. which was really exciting because I'm like, there's so much more to come. We're going to put that list up on your episode page web site, cool. thiswomenonscreen.ca slash W-O-S out loud. And we're also going to put up the resource list because you also did shout outs to Black Women Film, BIPOC TV and Film, POV, and the NIA Center. So as a last question, as you've raised up so many other people, where can we support you? And what are you up to right now that you're excited about and joyful about? So in the past year, I've I've had another revelation, which was I really have been looking at the film industry as a community and not just like a venture. Um, mm. And what I mean by that is that I was really, really caught up and sort of around the same time when I was like, being an anomaly is cool and great. Uh, I was more interested in doing like the next cool feature film or really neat TV series and not about what fundamentally excites me the most, which is the process of filmmaking. That is what mm. I, that's why I got into film was just creating. I'm not a film nerd. I probably haven't seen like 90% of the classics that I'm supposed to see. I just <laughs> love collaborating. And so um, to that point, um, I'm trying to uh, recognize and dismantle barriers uh, for folks who are like me. Um, and I think um Upon reflection, I, I I think I was set up for success because I knew very early on that I wanted to be a DP um, as early as high school. And so I'm now trying to work towards um, an educational resource that's made mm. for and by entirely BIPOC folks um, to sort of teach others about the roles that exist in film um, beyond the sort of usual director, writer, actor, like I mean, selfishly, I want to be able to hire more tech folks. So, you know, the the this educational resource would sort of be like mini tutorials um, or how-tos on how to be a dolly grip, how to be a sound person. And that person that's teaching you is a racialized person. And the people that are behind that are racialized folks. And it's going to be to totally free. Um, you know, I don't want to have any financial barriers, but uh, in terms of supporting that, you know, we're, we're always looking for funding. Um, we're still in the early stages of figuring out how to roll out something like this. And I'm certainly I'm working very closely with BIPOC TV and film to to roll out um, an educational campaign. But yeah, I guess, you know, in the simplest terms is if you are someone who's looking to hire, just really consider the existing makeup of your crew, whether you're racialized or whether you're white, like, and really seek out those voices. It's it's actually not that hard. Like I, funnily enough, my partner has nicknamed me the job board because folks will always reach out to me like, do you have recommendations for a sound recordist who's racialized or queer, <laughs> whatever it may be. And I love that. Like, I love that, but I can't be the only person that does that. Right. And so, yeah, just continue to like, uplift others continue to like dismantle all the things that you've been taught and conditioned to believe and I think you will be so much freer in that way so 
Yeah. Ah, That's my non-answer. <laughs> I love it. I just got shivers. It's um so lovely that I just asked how we can support you. And you said, here's how you can support everyone. But, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. when we support everyone, we get support. Exactly. Thank you so much for writing this, for sharing this on this platform. And thank you for being you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been so lovely. Toronto-based cinematographer Gail Yi has well over a decade of experience in short and long-format projects. Gail is an award-winning filmmaker with work that has screened internationally at the Cannes Court-Metrage and EarthX Film Festival. She is set to shoot the CBC HBO Max series Detention Adventure and was recently awarded a 2021 Daytime Emmy for her work on the PBS hit show Odd Squad. Thank you, Gail, for joining us today. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts. And check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca. Until next time, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. And I'm Jennifer Pogue. And we are Women, Women on Screen. screen. Thank you to Company 3 Toronto for hosting us and for continuing to support women on screen. This podcast was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. Executive produced by Farah Marani, Lauren McKinley, and Kira Murphy. With original music by Erica Percunier. Sound captured by Devin Doucette. And sound mixed by Arturo Fuenmayor at Company 3 in Toronto.